Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from the Marx Brothers and Laura Murley. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me as co-hosts today, it's Julian Morgan. Hey. Seth Alcorn. Hello. And Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hello. Today, first, I'm Andy Weld. And today as a guest, we are happy to have on Moxie LaBouche. Moxie, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you for having me on. Of course, we're happy to have you on. Moxie, can you talk to us about your background in performing and theater and comedy and all that? Yeah. Uh, for the past seven years, I have performed and produced a burlesque out of Richmond, Virginia, as well as doing a uh, couple of years of stand-up and improv comedy. I am will forever be pleased to say that I was the producer of the George R.R. R. Martin-approved Game of Thrones burlesque show. We actually got to go and play for the man himself. That is awesome. How did how did you finagle that? Uh, a lot of luck. Okay. <laughs> a fair amount of hard fair work. Enough. Yeah. Uh, someone who was involved in the first year of the show uh, performed in a burlesque show in a con that he was at to do a panel, and he happened to see her act and asked to talk to her afterwards. She told him what we were doing. He gave her, he, uh, through her, gave us his official blessing and like a business card with his. I have his cell phone number, y'all. Okay. Wow. George Martin's oh. cell phone. I'm not giving it to anybody, but no. I have his cell phone number. Send him a dick pic. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did you um how did you get involved in burlesque? What's the process of starting in that art? For people in general or for me specifically? Well, let's start with you specifically. Okay. Uh, that I reconnected with a friend of mine from high school who did posters for a local show and I didn't know burlesque was a thing that was happening in the modern era. I knew about Gypsy Rosalie and the, that type of burlesque back in like the, the 40s and 50s. And he's like, I get tickets every month for doing the poster. You want to come with? I'm like, hell yes, I do. And I saw a performer doing a routine to Menomina. Hmm. Okay. And she had googly eye pasties with big eyelashes. And then the front of her fuzzy pink G-string was a mouth. And at the end, she sings along. And I just was staring up agog saying, I have to do this. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. That is awesome. That is really fun. Now, have you? What's what's your like? What's your favorite act that you've ever done? Like, oh crap! I've done a lot of. Uh, I, I deal mostly with what's called nerd last, so I've got a little goofy stuff. Um, I do recreate the Menomina number that got me into burlesque with the, the blessing of Kiki von Kitsch, the now retired performer who originated it. Um, that one is tied probably with. The Jamie and Cersei Lannister mm. Game of Thrones routine ah, okay. that I do with my husband, uh, Dante the Inferno. We have done that act over 50 <laughs> times. I would do it 50 more. I just love it. Is his real name? I really want it to be something really, like Dave. You want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how's, how's Bobby sit with you? Bobby. Bobby, Bobby. Bobby tracks. Not, it's like he's the not, kind Yeah, he's yeah. not a Bob or a Robert. He's Bobby. Robert, he, he, I could see. Well, he's, he's I mean, like he Robert is Dine. legitimately, that's his name. Kind of like Robert. the Kennedy. He was Bobby and Robert. Whatever. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> now he's he's one of those guys uh, that no matter how old everyone. he gets, he's always going to have the long e sound on the end of his name. You know, he'll be he'll be eighty in the nursing home. It'll still be Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, I get that. Yep. That's nice. I get that life. Well, Moxie, can you introduce our first sketch today? Uh, yes, our first sketch today is a segment from the Marx Brothers movie um, Horse Feathers. I had to stop and think about it for a second because. 
the Marx Brothers have this wonderful catalog of movies and like 75% of them are the same plot with a strange yeah. name that doesn't go with it and they're all wonderful and everybody should sit down and watch them all. Yeah, the, the uh, first four are the animal names, right? It's it's uh, just animal horse feathers, crackers, duck soup, monkey business. Monkey business. Yeah, yeah. and um, well the movie studio found out they had a winning formula with these guys and so they stuck with it complete with the same plot, the same dowager, rich dowager actress uh, across from them and that's why they're a little hard to keep straight and then they left uh, for a different studio and then we got A Night at the Opera um, a Night at Casablanca, mm. A Day at the Races, other things Queen named their albums after. And that's when the, the plots got a little bit different, and those are a little bit easier to keep track of. I but, did not realize that is how Queen named their I'm just yeah. I'm just having like a, <laughs> what? This little smile just started spreading across your face. Yeah, wow, um, wow. That's uh, gonna... Queen, Queen 2, A Day at the Races... No, a night at the opera and then a day at the races. I think is the first their first four albums. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's just like one firework goes off <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's the the finale fireworks. With <laughs> Everything is connected. Yeah. And entirely tangential. Anyone who's who's freaking out about the uh, the Freddie Mercury biopic coming out later this year. Oh yeah. And they're like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna straight wash him. Wait. It's not done. They haven't edited it yet. You oh. can make you can make like four distinctly different movies out of the same can of film stock. So clutch your pearls in November if we need to. Just chill. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it comes out when it happens. I thought it was a lot closer to being done than it than it is. I, I I dislike this you know putting out full trailers that look fabulous and finished eight months before the movie comes out. Like right. don't talk to me about it unless I can go out and see it. Anyway, that's like five tangents deep. Expect more of that. Yeah, uh, no, but just, this... for our, just for our listeners, just like if they straight wash him, we're all rioting. That's... <laughs> well, obviously, right. we're just gonna quit. But, but right now, right now, just like just put your spike riddled bat down for a second, yeah. and let's let's all chill for let's all chill. For At least we know they didn't yeah. whitewash him. Yeah, well, you know, good. Because yeah. he he was of Indian. Descent. Mm-hmm. He's, He's from the island of Zanzibar. From the island of Zanzibar, yeah. Oh, wow. Where I studied abroad in college. Okay, Ooh. Andy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I would drop that, too. <laughs> I would like, oh, yeah. No. I've been, well, to, his, what, I've been yeah. to his house. Let's talk um, about vanilla and the spice trade for a second. Speaking of Zanzibar. <laughs> oh, are we going... Are we going are we going deep into colonialism? Guys, okay, guys, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> are, are we, uh, how about that really? Stone I, Town? Right? I, I do know about yeah. I do know about the origins of bourbon vanilla. If we want to get into that, but so, let's first, but let's first let's talk, talk about, about the Marx, the Marx Brothers. Brothers. The Marx Brothers, right? Because today I'm on Sketch Nerds. I'm not over on my fact-based podcast. The setup here is that um, Groucho is trying to get uh, into a speakeasy, and he's got to get past Chico, who's been left on uh, door duty and has the password. And here's a clip. Who are you? I'm fine, thanks. Who are you? I'm fine, too, but you can't come in unless you give the password. Oh, what is the password? Oh, no, you got to tell me. Hey, I tell what I do, I give you three guesses. It's the name of a fish. Is it Mary? (laughs) Ha, ha, that's an old fish. She isn't what she drinks like one. Let me see. Is it Stajan? Hey, you crazy sturgeon. He's a doctor. Cuts you open when you're sick. Now, I give you one more chance. I got it. Haddock. That's a funny. I got a haddock, too. What do you take for a haddock? Well, now, sometimes I take aspirin, or sometimes I take a calomel. Say, I'd walk a mile for a calomel. Uh, Moxie, can you tell us why you brought that sketch to us today? 
I love the Marx Brothers. They are the foundation of so much of the comedy that we enjoy today. And you see references to this sketch in a lot of places of the password being swordfish. Mm -hmm. That will be the, the default password for a lot of things. In fact, for the film, swordfish. I was gonna ask, with, I was gonna yeah, with John Travolta yeah, yeah. and That's not uh, a good Hugh Jackman. Movie. <laughs> After you get past the scene with the ball bearings on the on the explosive vests, pretty much you can pack it in. <laughs> like that's the good part, and after yeah. that, you've you've peaked. Um, I hate the obligatory like just the the tit shot for Halle Berry. It was just like it was so just like Ugh. yeah. Like she got paid a million dollars for that, like just for that one shot. Yeah. They, and they they were they were so adamant about having her show her tits, and that's and that's that, that's all they did. They 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 yeah, they, just, they, they were they were begging her to show her tits, and she was like no. And so finally she was like, all right, I'll do it for a million dollars. I understand why they're square. That still bothers me. Her boobs are square? They're square. Yeah. But like well, my- I know what I'm doing after this podcast. It's like, like Minecraft Editing this porn. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about, I feel like, the, the foundation of this scene and this key kind of Marx Brothers element um, is basically misunderstanding misunderstanding and confusion um, and kind of the comedy that comes from that. And maybe maybe other people have a read, but that seems like the foundation to me of this is it's two people talking past one another. Yeah, like a miscommunication. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of that. I think I think some of it is choosing not to listen to the other person and to riff off, to go off of uh, your interpretation because they have they have the back and forth uh, where they reference an old timey drug called calomel, which was mercury chloride. It comes from the era where we found a substance. We better hurry up and eat it just in case it's good for us. <laughs> oh wait, it's poison. It was poison the entire time. Uh, but there I was a painkiller. He was saying caramel. Me well, you're supposed well. to at yeah. the end because because he says because the guy pick the other guy picks up on Groucho, that. Yeah, yeah Groucho oh, says, "What no. do you?" Uh, they're they're guessing fish names, calomel. and he says, "Haddock." which turns into headache. He says, I got a headache. And Groucho says, yeah, I've got one too. Yeah. Meaning you, what do you take for a headache? So sometimes I take an aspirin, sometimes I take a calomel. To which uh, Groucho responds, I'd walk a mile for a calomel, which is the old uh, camel cigarette slogan, I'd walk a mile for a camel. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, back, back when they could actually sell those as good for you, as healthful, like doctors would sell camel cigarettes in ads. And then Chico says, you mean chocolate calomel? I like that too, but you don't get in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I th- I think it's not that them like like as if his fake accent is uh, making the conversation difficult. I think they just choose not to pay attention to what the other person is saying. I went through a strong Marx Brothers phase in high school because our uh, drama teacher decided that a good thing to do to give a mixed class of sophomores and juniors was to be like, okay, your final project is to do a one-person show, um, right? So I picked Groucho, and I did a lot of research, by which I mean watched all the Marx Brothers movies I could find. Um, Groucho's a chaos Muppet. He's fabulous. He, what do you mean by a chaos Muppet? Well, also, best phrase ever. <laughs> there's, um, there's an internet meme going around about whether you're an order Muppet or a chaos Muppet. Order Muppets exist to keep order. Chaos Muppets exist to cause chaos. What you were talking about earlier with the people talking past each other and what Moxie said about choosing to mishear is that Groucho's, the Groucho that he plays on screen is always trying to, no matter what, stay on top of the situation. He is in charge. And to do that, he will mishear, spout nonsense, misdirect, or lie to do, just for no other purpose other than to maintain his supremacy in the situation. Doesn't matter if it, it ends up not working for him as long as he can be in charge. So, I, Moxie, I'm intrigued by your, your comment on that about it being like people 
choosing to not listen like they're choosing to not listen to each other and do you think that's a choice that is that an actor's choice or a writer's choice like where because it could read either way because I read it as like just miscommunication and you read it as a different thing. Do you think that more comes down to how it's written, what the writer's trying to communicate, or how it's acting and what the actors are communicating? Well, the Marx Brothers were very involved in the writing um, of these films, so it, it becomes both just by the fact that they are both. Um, I think it comes down also a lot to the Groucho character, like Seth was saying, creating chaos because that is his, uh, his medium, yep. that, is, that is his, his idiom. So never letting anybody else think that they're in control of a conversation. And you know, I wish we could we could have a character like Groucho now who just silly walks through a room roasting everyone so fast and so cleverly they don't even know what's happened until it's too late. Yeah, that's... the. <laughs> there's a reason that the Marx Brothers were so popular, that they they have... They each have a line of shtick that's just really, really good, and they know how to combine them to uh, make a, a scene just really pop. It's fantastic. Yeah, and part of that chaos too, I think, comes from the pacing as well. Like, the, oh, yeah. it was so fast. So fast. And, they, and they, like they, and again, like you can tell they're just not listening to each other because they're talking so fast at each other. And it's like I, I was just amazed, kind of, but just by the pacing of it, like that, that scene could have lasted for like ten minutes, and and they could have said like, you know. 100,000 words in like in 10 minutes like because it was so fucking fast yeah yeah i mean i think some of that has to do with coming from vaudeville i i have to think that i mean in uh moxie in the um the introduction that you wrote for us you mentioned the uh the incident in Nacogdoche, which is how that town is actually pronounced but they were they were not doing too well and groucho i believe reportedly said nacodoches is full of roaches or something like that and then that the audience was like he's roasting us that's hilarious um, they had an instant where the first iteration of their show, before they really kind of found their characters and their niche, uh, there were, you know you're not holding an audience well when somebody outside of the theater yelling about a runaway mule makes everybody get up and leave your show to go and see what's going on. When the audience trickled back in, you know, Groucho was not having it, and he just started laying into them, and rather than getting angry and, and you know, throwing their, their mon you know, throwing their drinks at him, they loved it. They ate it up. And that was kind of the inception of the Groucho Marx character that we would come to see. Yeah. And they used to take um, they used to take their movies out to they used to stage them to to test them in front of audiences. Like the whole thing end to end or um, would it be like I, bits? I th mostly bits, mostly bits. But they'd go mm. out to see how mm. something was doing and then they'd rework it based on audience response. Yeah, it's like you know George Carlin would say that his his tour was just practice for the show he was about to record. Right. So yeah. sim similar to that, and since their movies are largely strings of of uh, skets, sketches tied together with this over loose overall narrative, it's a totally feasible way to uh, to hone your craft. Yeah, absolutely. So do do you think most of their bits stand alone as sketches, or is the does the movie context matter? Would they have would they have made sense maybe like thirty years later in a sketch variety show rather than in this kind of you know classic MGM Paramount? We've got you in a movie contract. We're going to put you through a bunch of movies, that kind of thing. I think a lot of them do stand well alone, such mm -hmm. as this one. You don't need to know why these two men are at this door. You just know one of them has to give the password before the other one will let him in. So you could you could have this on a stage, curtain opens, two guys mm -hmm. and a prop door. Yep. 
Yeah, and the uh, the end of the uh, the video clip would all, is also a great ending for that sketch, where they they both end up outside frantically banging on the yeah, door to try to get, to get back, back in. in. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I didn't like that part so much because that didn't make sense to me why he left the room. Yeah. Um, because it's I, well, I mean it's a funny said, moment. Yeah. He said I, f- I forgot. I guess I have to come outside with you because he. Okay. Yeah. So like it's basically like it's like what I loved so much about that because it was so layered because like. He's the doorman asking for the password, and then when the um got when uh the other guy said, well I don't know what's the password. What's the password? And he's like, as if so now so now he's the doorman, yeah. and it's like I don't know the password, so I shouldn't even be in yeah. here. So I like, should come outside. Yeah, with it's you. just like it's okay. Yeah, it, it was it, it's like it's like um, uh, they mirror each other so well, yeah. and so like when when he's on the other side, they they just create a a, a quick moment where yeah, Grouch is on the inside, but. Uh, the other guy, Chico, Chico, is um, somehow the doorman still. Like it, they just and they just like swap. It's it's one of the things that usually happens is that Groucho's character almost invariably ends up outsmarting himself a couple of times yeah, throughout that the movie. Yeah, happens a lot. Yeah, he's too clever for his own good. Right, and then he realizes that by the the rules that he's put into play, he's got to do something that puts him at a disadvantage, but he's still ahead of the other person. So in the personal game he's playing, it's fine. And he invariably has to seek the help of some of the people he's just outwitted, that yeah. being Chico and Harpo. Yeah. And um, not all of Harpo's stuff works as well, definitely not in a podcast medium because he's a silent character. But I think some of the most brilliant moments in Marx Brothers come from Harpo. There's uh, one scene, it may have been in Horse Feathers, again, they're really hard to keep straight, yeah. where Harpo answers the telephone. When it rings, he's in someone's office and the phone rings and he answers it. He is a totally nonverbal character, like a mime without makeup. But he has like this um, bicycle horn and he has his whole end of the conversation just honking this bicycle horn. And you know exactly what he's saying just from our standard patterns of conversation (laughs) with a bicycle horn. And I thought that was one of the most brilliant things Mm. ever. Now, I want to talk about Chico's character a little bit. Um, E.K., Chico's character has a not so great Italian accent. Is that what that was supposed I think to be? It's yeah, Italian. Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, how important is that accent accent to the scene? Would it have worked with him just using an American accent? Why? I mean, I obviously we're just seeing this clip from the movie. Maybe him being Italian is important to the rest no, of the movie. No, it's never important ever. <laughs> yeah, but like so, I like. But he has the accent throughout the whole. That's movie? That's his character. Yeah. That's oh, that's okay. that's his character all the time, always. Because I mean, they weren't born under these Groucho Harpo and and Chico. Chico's name is Leonard. They're just good Jewish boys from Brooklyn. Yeah. Mm. And Groucho's real name is Julius. Yes, Julius Henry. I also want to ask that question too. Like, so, like, I mean, this this is back in an era where, uh, you know, Hollywood was a factory. Like, they was like, if this is making money, you're going to do this until it's not making money. Mm-hmm. What do you but, mean um, back in the era? We're, <laughs> we're, on, yeah, we're on our like tenth Avengers movie. Yeah, that's but whatever. No, that's he, he, back in the era where you're going to keep doing this and we're going to pay you five bucks. Yeah. yeah, and so like once you found a character, a character that's popular. Uh, how how do you like keep doing it in a way that's still gonna be good for the audience? Like I, I always I always wondered. Like, Sasha Baron Cohen is kind of doing the same thing. We're like, right. how do you keep doing Borat in a way that's like still clever and still like you know, honestly, still elevating for the audience? It worked most of the time. Like in their later stuff, you can see that the it's it's things have started to fray. 
the the later movies i think i want to say with the exception this is of course my personal opinion uh film critics may disagree with me people at this table may disagree with me um a night at the opera and a day at the races are uh, still some of their better stuff but the later stuff after that it honestly they try to throw too much into the plot and just have them sort of play I'll around fucking kill you no. Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Apparently, Julian has strong feelings about some of these. No, um, I've never seen any of. This is the first time I've actually seen any Marshall. But the, yeah, they they always try to sort of spatchcock them into a romantic plot. That's not what that word means. Oh, it's not. I'm terribly sorry. To spatchcock is to open up. It means to to butterfly a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Shoehorn. <laughs> Yeah, when you yeah. smash. All right. It's this very. Someone just outsmarted. Uh, no, that is great. I apologize for using a word incorrectly. I don't know about outsmart, but I definitely outnerded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they try to force them into a romantic, uh, it, to work around a romantic plot or to help the two romantic leads get together. And in the earlier movies, that's there, but it's mostly just them doing their thing. In the later movies, that romantic plot becomes more important, and it just doesn't work as well. So almost shifting from their incongruous string of sketches to an actual plot was to their detriment. Yeah, so I would say maybe, so. So maybe these characters only work when the focus is not on the character, but just on the fast-paced jokes. And, and then a moment later, you're onto a whole new set of fast-paced jokes. So where do we see now the elements of the Marx Brothers in today's comedy? Like, what are the echoes of the Marx Brothers? Moxie? Well, roasting has never gone out of fashion. I'll tell you that for nothing. Uh, if you're at least as old as I am, and I'm looking around the room, some of you are, some of you aren't, um, go on YouTube, watch uh, Groucho roasting Johnny Carson. It's fabulous. That's not really germane to the question. It's just <laughs> something I think people will enjoy. If they, if they even know no, that Johnny was Carson pretty is. recent. No. <laughs> if they even remember who Johnny Carson yeah. is. No, but I see like Sasha Baron Cohen does, like, I I, I kind of see sort of elements of that in in Sasha Baron. What Cohen. elements of it? Just like um, so it when I watched the clip, it was like kind of, and I I think back on like um, just uh, but yeah, when, when I watched the clip, I, I'm I'm obviously I've never seen the Marx Brothers, but I'm obviously aware of them, and I know about their a little bit about their, their history. I just kind of see them like where. If they were to do this act now, they would probably do it in a way that Sacha Baron Cohen would do it. Like he'll, they're they're going to play their characters, but in the real world, like just have mm. them walking around and interacting with real people. So, I, I, I like yeah. yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, there are definitely some parallels between, like Chico's character and and his behavior, particularly because yeah. he's usually on, he's got some scam, some con that he's on, so some some trick that he's pulling, um, in this exaggerated character to what. Sasha Baron Cohen does with with Borat and um, with his new project, which I haven't been able to bring myself to watch. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not for, because of him, but just yeah. My, yeah. my will to live can't take it. <laughs> Ek, is there anything you would do differently in this sketch? Um, I you know I'm with you on the ending, kind of testing testing the limits or or the boundaries of like what is a sort of. What, what is the word I'm looking for here? Believable yeah. miscommunication mm. or a believable way to behave in that? Because like with the a you layer the accent with the fact that they're both kind of self-involved and they're talking over each other. And so I believe those miscommunications. It's more just that pushes the level of absurdity for me to something where it's, where it's which is actually why I've always sort of struggled with Marx Brothers and Three Stooges. It just gets to a point where I'm like, Ugh, you've lost me now. Like <laughs> You just pushed it too far. But because well, the acting elements kind of go away. The elements of good acting go away, and it becomes more about serving a joke. Right. Yeah. 
And so, so I think just, that can just be. Just too zany? Well, it's for the just, sake of, like zany for the sake of zany? It's zany for the sake of zany. Nothing wrong with that, but it just it just didn't quite. No, I, th- I think they're just like they're 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 trying to get to a joke. It's definitely funny that they both end up outside of the uh, door trying to get in. Um, but like, how do you get there? They kind of just like shoehorned it in and was like, you know, I, I guess they kind of phoned it in a little bit. But I thought that I did I did think that that was funny. Like, no, it was funny. It's just it was just a little like ten percent too much for me. But I don't know how else you would have ended it. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. All right, today's second sketch is brought to you by me, Andy. Uh, This sketch is called Unboxing My Neighbor's Mail, and it comes to us from comedian Laura Murley. Laura... Is, she's got a YouTube channel. She's got some great videos on there. She has um, been on team improv teams. Uh, excuse me, not improv teams. She's been on sketch teams at Improv Boston, Improv Asylum, and the People's Improv Theater in New York. Uh, she also hosts a podcast uh, associated with the Women in Comedy Festival. It's called How to Be Less Awkward. Um, and this sketch is a parody of unboxing videos, which is a very popular genre of YouTube videos where people just open things and they tap them and they touch them and they look at them and they have millions and millions of views and this is a parody of that kind of video. So we're going today from Marx Brothers to like the absolute most modern thing we could do. Uh, Here's a clip. Huh, it's a fashion magazine. Mr. Henderson does not seem like the type to be into fashion, if you know what I mean. I mean, he wears cargo pants. All the eyes are cut out of this magazine. Like, literally all of the eyes are cut out of this magazine. Where do you even buy a magazine like that? I really like this sketch because I think it perfectly captures, it perfectly parodies the type of video that is being discussed here, the unboxing video. Not only in the character choices, but especially in the filming and the editing, the jump cuts, that kind of it's, you're not really cutting to anything else, you're just cutting to almost the next sentence. And this is kind of like how all of these videos are made, like very popular YouTubers which is like a weird sentence, but um, no, I love I love unboxing videos. Yeah, it's kind of can, can you explain to me why I'm not like I, so, I genuinely am, am sort of fascinated by it because I truly do not understand the appeal of it. I I like specific like specific unboxing videos, not just any kind. Like it has to be like uh, someone's. I, so I collect a lot of like anime figures and comic book figures and stuff like that or like statues and stuff I always follow videos where they're unboxing something from uh, sideshow toys or like uh, they're unboxing a figma or something like that what's a figma uh, a figma it's, so it's, it's a it's a Japanese you would call it like an action figure okay uh, it's very movable very posable uh, is, is, that a, is that a portmanteau of figure and maquette uh, so uh, yeah okay alright yeah. no good sorry super yeah. nerd no no, no. <laughs> yeah I love uh, I love sideshow maquettes it's like 
but is so it cool, but is but... it the pro- like is it do you like watching someone's reaction to unboxing it like like watching someone open presents or I, I, like... no it's, it's it's they honestly they, they they always open it like very matter-of-factly just like the um this guess we're talking about now they just they, they just like kind of open it and it's like oh this w- one thing I, I will note that she didn't talk about the packaging at all like she was just like oh this is not fucking the the, the packages like not very she does have a great joke about the packaging um like We've got this this bigger box, so yeah. it'll at least be a bigger thing. Bigger thing, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I just, I just like, I, I don't know. It, it's something about it. I don't know. I can't, I can't fucking explain it. But it's fucking cool. I think one one of the trends that made unboxing more common. I'm going to say that rather than popular would be like uh, the brand new phone comes out. And so you want to, this is the only way you're going to get to see the brand new phone is to watch someone who pre-ordered it and was there at midnight to pick it up to watch them open it and like look at the interesting package okay we got a manual with it and okay this is how it turns on this is what it's like to set it up yeah and but then it just okay. became opening anything yeah and that and that i think is what this sketch is is talking about and the people who make them probably wish they had more stuff to open and you're going to run out of stuff to open if you you know have a youtube channel based just on unboxing videos you're going to end up opening your breakfast cereal on camera because that's all you've got left and that's why she's <laughs> opening her neighbor's mail because she's run yeah. out of stuff well yeah. she oh, i think she sets it up with she's uh she doesn't get any presents or she doesn't get much mail so yeah. she's <laughs> but it was outside so it's okay exactly yeah. you can I touch just, anything that's outside <laughs> that was great I, yeah i think just the level of expertise like like for like phone videos or whatever or the the stuff that I watch, there's like these people are like they have a level a level of like insight that okay. like um so like they'll they'll open the box and be like oh this corner is damaged and they'll be like oh they 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 they, they unpack it or whatever and it's like oh it's it's great form I can tell that they use this mold for this so it's kind of like figure. antique roadshow yeah. for new stuff yeah 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 but why do you need to know that information? Like I, how does like how does it? I, I don't know. It, I'm just at work, and it's confuses I'm at, me. My <laughs> managers, my supervisors, saying stuff to me, and I just want to watch something that's just so simple. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's get to the elements of this sketch. Um, Seth, as an actor, can you talk about how uh, the actress Laura, um, the, both the writer and the actress, mm-hmm. uses her voice and the way she like modulates her voice and manipulates her voice to sell the character or to create the character? Yes, uh, this is a, a, a little bit difficult question for reasons I might get into later or not. But um, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> she's playing naive, yeah, very well. And one of the things I will say is that it's hard to tell whether the character is being willfully naive or whether the character is just sort of that oblivious. But that in itself is a problem with videos on the internet anyway. Like y- you're never entirely sure. Sometimes, whether a person is doing satire or whether they actually believe what they're saying. There was a famous one a while back of the young woman who kept talking about how we, we didn't need any other language except English. And I think for this yeah. one, what makes it clear to me that it's satire is the beat. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's a comedy thing throughout, but the right. beat at the end where like like if you think i should call the police Please. subscribe if you think he's oh, just a fun was, man trying to live his life i think that was that, that was probably my favorite part but what she does with her voice sorry to get back on track yeah, yeah. um what she does with her voice is to sort of draw us into this idea that what she that she actually thinks what she's doing is okay that she believes that it's okay that if you you know if it's outside of you touch it and then gradually 
comes to feel that there is a more sinister agenda at work as though what she is unboxing might actually be messages to her because her neighbor knows uh, that she's stealing oh, stuff. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Okay, I thought so. That was one of the things I thought. But yeah. I, I will tend to be you like... You might have been thinking a little deeper than... Yeah. I don't know about thinking a little going. deeper, thinking a little weirder about that's stuff. Fair. But that's fair. I still yeah. want to know where you buy magazines that already have the, all the eyes cut out. Yeah, yeah. That was, I'm assuming yeah. eBay. I couldn't tell if it was that if the idea was that he was buying those things to do sinister things, or if someone was sending him that stuff. I figured it, he was like lying. it wasn't clear to me. I'd be what... thrilled if people were sending me random duct tape and rope and shovels and stuff. <laughs> okay, noted. Well, no, I. You haven't you're seen my saying, house. Okay. Thank you, Moxie. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I, li I live in a 150-year-old house. I need rope and duct tape and zip ties and just to hold the place up. Yeah. Okay. Shopping for you for Christmas. How is old like is the dungeon easy. in the basement? Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't talk about the dungeon. Um, anyway, it's a crawl space, and you have to fight yeah. the raccoon for it. I call it my murder <laughs> hole, <laughs> and it's very well appointed. I Thank love you. the idea that you have to fight the raccoon. Yeah, uh, Moxie, raccoons is like, oh, you again? <laughs> Starts cracking his knuckles. We need again. <laughs> Moxie, what are the elements of an accurate parody? And do you think this is an accurate parody? I think a parody is to take the defining characteristic out of something and exaggerate it to the point that it could not realistically exist. And I think that, yeah, 100% that this is a successful parody because I have not seen a lot of unboxing videos unless I needed to find information about a particular new thing that's out there that I know people will have done unboxing videos. I'm going to probably look up later where like the very first one, you know, mm -hmm. who, who started the unboxing trend. I imagine it but was like the, an iPhone or something. It was probably, like yeah, it was, de I'm, I'm thinking definitely consumer electronics. Yeah. Um, definitely. But I, I definitely think, yeah, it's, it's, it has to be an exaggeration. Um, and I think she does that. And also, she uh, the character also kind of reminds me of like people that do makeup videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like mm -hmm. it, it kind of combines those two. Just uh, the the archetype of someone who spends a lot of time staring directly into their camera. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, the one thing I, I would like to have seen more was more perspective, because uh, because she's just kind of like opening stuff and it's like oh fra la la, hey fra la la this, oh there's a gun oh, there's a rifle cool. Like, you know, like it, but like she's, I just from the unboxing videos that I watch and I, I you know, I obviously watch very specific, uh, specific ones. They're like, they always talk about the thing that they, they just unboxed, you know? Well, yeah. I guess that speaks to Seth's comment about obliviousness and naivety, mm -hmm. um, naivete, um, how like where the, those character choices to be kind of more like, okay, this is a gun and then move on to the next thing. And I think that's part of the character to not give it a second thought or to not give it a deeper just have her be really superficial and, and oblivious yeah. again. Because the again goal is, right is to make an unboxing video. Like that's yeah. what she's, she's doing this to make an unboxing video. She's not doing it to unbox something. Right. Yeah. 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 I would just like to have like more elements, like basically just have that that perspective just be stronger. But that's that's part of why I was asking you, like, what what really is the appeal of a lot of these videos, or what, like, what are those elements that draw people in? Is it the fact that you're getting the preview of something that isn't widely available yet? Is it that that watching someone open something that they an element of un, 
surprise. I, you yeah. know, no, like I understanding t- what Tasha actually, like, we, we actually talk about this a lot, actually. It's like, um, you talk about unboxing videos? No, no, no. This idea of getting a package and opening it and um, just unboxing. Now, like, like, we, like, we actually love it. Yeah, when you order I do something. Too. Yeah, there's an element uh, of excitement. It's very when you like, yeah, there's an element of excitement when you like, you pick up your Amazon box and then like, you, like, you know, you already know what's in there. Yeah. But like, you're just like, opening it is like just getting a package and knowing that like something that you want is inside it is exciting well, it yeah. depends on and how so much drunk shopping you do yeah. because <laughs> i once opened a box that had like 300 magic the gathering cards in it and i was like oh wow i forgot i'd ordered this <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what was missing for me is like i like i having only seen one or two unboxing videos I wasn't sure exactly if that's like you maybe it was Seth who said like she's just kind of oh it's a gun and then just sets it down um like I thought that was the point of it was that you you do kind of it is about that ritual of getting a box in the mail and kind of taking a moment to be like ooh like I maybe I know this is maybe I don't and may, like I didn't realize people go so far as to talk about the packaging and like how well, it's taped this yeah, isn't a parody no, of the the good quality ones being done by the aficionados by the the yeah, collectors yeah. It, this is it, this is a parody of the the glut of unboxing videos that are just strictly person who ordered a thing opening it not uh you know sneak peek of latest technology type of unboxing. So it's a parody of where we are now with the proliferation of unboxing videos, I would think. Yeah, so I think like the oversaturation, again, because I, I follow specific people just for unboxing videos. And um, like it, just like, I, I guess I'm just not aware of the oversaturation of it. I and wonder if I should start a, a YouTube channel just dedicated to unboxing my books when they no. show up. What if no, I no. just started a, a hey, series that's just me opening my monthly mortgage statement, but in like a really sort of like, I'm going to open this envelope with this antique silver letter opener. <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever there is, if there's four people interested in it, someone has a YouTube channel. There's a YouTube channel of a guy smoking different pipes. It's just an old man sitting back in his desk chair in front of a white wall smoking different pipes, and that's all his videos are. Seth, that's totally you. He doesn't even have history about them. He doesn't even have to be, this is a a meerschaum pipe carved from a deer antler, which from 16th century England. No, it's just, he lights the pipe and he sits there and smokes it. And he's got like 300 videos. (laughs) So something doesn't doesn't have to have value for there to be a lot of it on the internet. I think we've all, we all know that Uh, deep down. Porn. Um, well, <laughs> and on that note, no. Um, so this is a pretty short sketch, um, yeah. but I think it's pretty effective at communicating its message in the game. There's there's pretty clear escalation yep. throughout. Yep. Yep. Um, but when you're writing something or doing a bit or something like that, how do you determine the effective length for it? Like, what's the best? Like, is there a thought process you go to consistently? Is it just, well, this is kind of how the story went? Uh, or is there more calculation in terms of length? I mean, some of that's going to be, I mean, it's even how, how it plays out for us in the writer's room, right? Where, you know, maybe the first draft or two that you have of an, of an idea or a concept, you don't realize until you hear other people read it out loud that there's fat that can be trimmed there. Or you think that you needed to add this sort of, little subplot to ultimately resolve the conflict that you've introduced in the sketch or the desire that's been introduced in a sketch and you don't need it after all it's I, I don't I don't think you can know until you see some 
you have some out external way of gauging appropriateness like of, of length and amount of content it's well th- for, for this kind of video so it's a list sketch and uh, so is it a list sketch mm. I'm pretty yeah because I wouldn't uh, call it a list sketch hmm. have we defined yeah. list sketch yet I mean, we kind of talk about different list sketches, but it's a tough thing. I, I, I maybe it's, it is a tough thing to define if we're disagreeing about what it is. Yeah. Um, I just think it's it, like you're listing things in a in a order of escalation, an order of escalation, and then you tie it off at the end. So, uh, to me, this is like she's like basically just everything she unboxes is a uh, is is a, like she's like kind of listing the whole thing. I mm, I wouldn't put a list sketch as something where the list is the joke. Yeah. yeah, well, the yeah. list is the joke that she's that everything she pulls out is funny. But the things are getting increasingly worse, but yeah. not because. But the joke is that the neighbor's a murderer. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Or well, maybe. Irregardless. Regardless. Yeah. For, for for irregardless is not a word. Sorry. The way you would do the sketch, and she did. I think she did it too perfectly. Is like um, you'd want to do um, two things that are normal, one thing that's slightly is is potentially abnormal, three things that are increasingly insane. Mm. And then tie it off at the end. That could be either five minutes. I'm or always it could looking be to like, tie one off. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that could be five minutes, or it could be three minutes. But you'd want to have those elements. All right, it's time for the end of the show. Moxie, as the guest, can you come up with a rating system for how we rate these sketches today? Yeah, today I'd like to replace uh, standard star rating with cigars. Not only is it part of the the iconography of uh, Groucho Marx, but there is the the great story from when he was later in life the host of uh, game show is a loose phrase, but the game show You Bet Your Life, and he had a contestant on uh, the lady had you know thirteen or seventeen kids, a lot even by the standards of the early twentieth century, and she said something coquettish like, "Well, I just love my husband," and Groucho says, "Yeah, I love my cigar too, but I take it out once in a while." <laughs> 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 Uh, All right. Well, well. I mean, let's uh, let's. We'll start with the um, the password scene from Horse Feathers. Uh, how many uh, cigars did you give it? Obviously, I'm a little biased, but it gets uh, a solid four out of five cigars. Four out of five cigars. I'm All one of those right. people that never gives the the five five star rating. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, Ek. I'll, I'll say three cigars. You know, it's it's a good good solid bit. But it doesn't it it doesn't necessarily stick with me as being like one of the the great moments in who are we talking about Marx Brothers? Marx. Yes, <laughs> I, I think that illustrates her point really well. I don't know Marx Brothers, Smothers Brothers, Three Stooges. There's a lot. Yeah, uh, I am gonna give it five out of five cigars. But the last one is an exploding cigar. Oh. oh. Bits. Twist. Bits. <laughs> well, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Julian. Um, I thought this was like really tight, and uh, I, I love like sort of really short wordplay sketches. Um, so I'm going to give it like full-on lung cancer. <laughs> full-on lung, full cancer. lung cancer. Cool. Yeah. Well, you're just as full likely long. to actually get jaw cancer. Uh, Sigmund Freud had to have his jaw removed from cancer but never stopped smoking, and he smoked up to 17 cigars a day. Damn, That's a bold move. Yeah, yeah I, I guess mean, once once you're in it. Yeah. Um, I let's see. I would give this maybe three as well as Ek. I, I I didn't really get. We didn't get a chance to really get into it. I didn't really get why Chico was Italian. I thought that kind of detracted from it because I thought it would have been more effective if they were if because there's an element of it if he's an immigrant where there's that confusion is more explainable. I thought it would have been sharper if there wasn't that mm. there. 
And I, I, we talked about the ending, which I didn't particularly care for. And now let's go on to the uh, unboxing my neighbor's mail sketch. Uh, I brought it, so I will. Um, I'll read it first. I'll give it four cigars out of five. I um, obviously we talked about how there is some like maybe some logical inconsistencies or different ways to interpret it. But I thought just in terms of capturing the zeitgeist and the parody elements, it's really, really spot on. And I really liked it. Julian? Um, I thought it did what it needed to do for sure. Um, but th- I, I, like like you said, the logical inconsistencies, I thought maybe um, it could have been stronger if it would just like just uh, really uh, double down on like the uh, – the reality of someone your neighbor is a killer like i'd really well i I thought that would have been really fun so i i like it but i wouldn't give it lung cancer fair enough seth (laughs) i I only give lung cancer i I like it but i wouldn't give it lung cancer that almost sounds like the sort of thing you say about a girl you didn't find as attractive (laughs) i like her but i wouldn't give her lung cancer you know what i'm saying when you say it out loud uh i I uh, I think I would um, I think I would have to give this one the humidor, which is a box you keep cigars in. That sounds like high praise. It is might. It? I don't know. I don't might, know what no, that it's is. Just, it's just <laughs> I mean, because I it, it is, is a parody of an unboxing yeah, video, and go. I decided to give it the box. Oh. I see. Mm-hmm. Look at him over there it's being clever. Yeah. There. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ek. God, I I don't want to follow that. <laughs> uh, I, I I will just. I will just stay the course here and say three cigars. I'm I'm tempted. I I would like to give it more, but I just it's it's not her. It's not this sketch. It's this whole genre of videos and things. <laughs> no, that's and not I'm just fair. I don't understand it, <laughs> and I don't understand fair. it, and I can't get past it. And it's, it's like t- me with Tim and Eric sketches. There's it's, just a ceiling for me because yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> it's just I don't un- I the don't understand what's really happening good, in though. humanity right now, and you know like unbox videos. Let's not videos, spiral now. <laughs> and then Trump happened. I'm like I don't. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Discreet event. Discreet event. Canada denied my visa. I don't know. Who's taking their album titles from Marx Brothers movies? Are they discreet events? Everything. Let me show you my wall with the red (laughs) string. Oh, God. Moxie, how many cigars would you give this sketch? Quick, quick, quick. A a begrudging three cigars. uh, A solid effort, but definite room for improvement. Things could have been tightened up a little bit. And I was pretty annoyed with her prop work because the plastic gun totally looked like a plastic gun. And it's like, you're handling that so poorly. I almost need you to say that it's a real gun to bring. To, to actually make it seem like it's yeah. a real gun. Because um, yeah, also, that's that's she didn't fair. paint it well enough, and you can see the orange. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh. like, ah. I, I, I have a plastic Desert Eagle um, <laughs> that I painted <laughs> like over the tip. Oh. Like you do. Oh. Left over from an Archer burlesque show. It was Barry's gun. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I keep it near the front door in case I get nervous or proselytizers come. But I painted <laughs> over the, the orange tip. You know. But if you saw it from the side, burlesque. I oh, need yeah. to. I need to. I need to go some burlesque shows. This oh, there's now amazing. there is amazing burlesque here in uh, in DC. I'm actually about to uh, meet with Cherie Sweetbottom from oh. the Evil League of Odysseists. Uh, and they do nerdlesque, a lot of uh, Joss Whedon stuff. Wait, uh, from Maki the Roll, Evil League what? of what? The Evil League of Ecdysiast. And Ecdysiast is something or someone that molts, which usually refers to a lizard or a tree, but is a term that people have been oh, applying for... to burlesque dancers oh. for forever because we, we shed our clothing. We molt. We we are Ecdysiasts. So like the Evil League of Evil, 
Do strippers <laughs> also get that title, or is it just burlesque? No, like no. They make enough money, they can buy whatever title they want. Those of us who spend $500 on rhinestones to make $20 every time we go out, we may call ourselves whatever we choose. There are some ladies who work at the strip club The Lumberyard in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, who might beg to differ. <laughs> the Lumberyard. <laughs> that was really specific. Next week, we'll be <laughs> live from the Lumberyard in Cedar Rapids. Just double down then with Cedar Rapids, because like Lumberyard was bad enough. That, that, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> seeing Tuesday <laughs> afternoon cesarean scars you know? uh, yeah that's well, that's pretty no. much it the yeah. owner is genius though like, yeah cedar rapids the the lumber yard what's fucking genius yeah it's very close to the airport all right moxie thank you for joining us on today's show a special thanks to you for being on today's show where can our listeners find you online if they wanted to seek out your stuff well thank you very much for enduring all of my tangents the reason for them will become apparent when you listen to my show your brain on facts it's a half hour podcast of things you didn't know things you thought you knew and things you never knew you never knew available probably on the very same program you're listening to this fine show on what a perfect read. That was such a great uh, oh Any, Anything that I do well in, in the realm of podcasting, half the credit goes to my father for nerdiness and my mother for having been in radio. Oh, if you ca- okay. if you called our house when, when I was a child, no matter which of the girls answered, you would hear a radio voice. Wow. That's really cool, actually. Um, I would just like to take this opportunity to say to our listenership that I listen to Moxie's podcast, and it is one of the highlights of my Tuesdays. Oh, thanks. Just like I, just like I paid you to say it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, and, and a big thank you to you as well for having Bad Medicine join the Game of Thrones burlesque show. The very in last one. Yeah. Because I'm, was... I'm retiring from producing um, at the end of this year, and uh, I'm taking the brand with me. Taking nice. it with me. No, there will, there will be no more burlesque is coming. No more of the officially licensed, uh, yeah, well, not licensed, have, officially yeah, approved show. George R. R. Martin's fucking. I have his, I have his phone number. Yeah, his direct <laughs> phone number. Yeah, I've so. never been courageous enough to call it because the thought of bothering him I is terrifying. I want you to drunk dial George R. R. Martin. <laughs> when is the next book <laughs> finished, George? Every time you ask him that, he kills another Stark. That and people asking him, uh, what you know, what if you die before it's finished because he's older and he's quite heavy. Right. He's pretty done with those questions. I don't think he's going to ever finish it. I think similar to Burlesque, it's just going to be a tease. Oh. We have to end the show there. There's like so many burns. The (laughs) burns are so real. (laughs) Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch that you are interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Moxie LaBouche, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, Seth Alcorn, and Julian Morgan, I'm Andy Weld. Thank you for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.